You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Thank you so much for tuning in. The interview subject coming up for you. He's in a band called Demu Borgir and Insidious Disease and a few others, I must add. But the reason for the conversation with Silenors is to promote Insidious Disease's brand new album for 2020, titled After Death, and it is superb. Definitely one of my top five releases that I've heard so far this year. We'll talk about why throughout this episode. You can pick it up via Nuclear Blast on the 30th of October, that being this year, 2020. In case you're listening to it in the distant future, I've got some episodes posted that are about three and a half years old at this point. So it's always good to put the year in, and that's why I do it. Anyhow, here he is, Silent Oz. Hey, mate, how's things? Hey, Andrew, how are you, man? Oh, I'm good, brother. How's the uh, how the calls going? You know the old uh, phone grind indie journo thing going with us with us Australian media types. How are we treating you? Ah, uh, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Australia. <laughs> how many how many calls have you had to take in this block of interviews? Ah, uh, it's just three so far today. So um, I'll try to keep it uh, somewhat fresh with like five to six interviews a day. Um, yeah, I know. Who was that? To, to, not, to not lose my voice either, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. And and look, I spoke to Barney from Napalm Death two, three nights ago, I think it was, and he was in, All right. uh, he was in the, his eighth week of doing it. And we, we had quite a bit of a conversation about it because you've got to do it, right? You can't yeah. tour at the moment. It's the only way you can spread the word is by talking to journalists from uh, all sorts of publications. So, so you yeah. know... Has uh, Rolling Stone America reached out to you yet? Because I love this album, by the way, but have, you know, those assholes at Rolling Stone America, have they reached out to you yet to actually have a conversation? Uh, not, not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is one uh, good guy it there. Might, it, might be too, uh, it might be too brutal for them, you know. <laughs> there, is, there is one good guy there. Hank Steamer is in New York, and I've had a conversation with him about our love for Morbid Angel, one of my podcast right. episodes, and he's a damn good guy, I must say, but right. the rest are fucking morons, my opinion only. Yeah, no, I think I've done, uh, I think I've done a, um, a thing with um, Rolling Stone before, like many, many years ago, like in the mid-2000s or something, so, but yeah, it's not, uh, it's not the usual publication that was on my list. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I wish that would change. But look, let, let's talk about this album here by Insidious Disease. And look, I've had it for a day or so, two days or so. Oh, but really? Did, okay. Yeah, but I did have the tracks that you released in advance. I've had them now for a couple of months, I think it's been now, that they've been out. Yeah. So I got, I can't, sorry, I can't remember the name of the tracks, but brilliant stuff. I love what you're doing here as an old school metalhead. I can. I feel like I understand where you're coming from with this. I can hear the That's old cool. school, you know, the Morgoth influence. And so, when you were writing the album, did you do that with uh, for people listening? Mark Grew, who used to be in Morgoth, he's the vocalist in the band. So, did you write the material with Mark in mind? Um. Well, not really in in the sense in that sense. Although he's uh, Mark is. Um... Uh, very heavily involved when we when it comes to like arranging the vocal patterns and phrasings and also part of um, the actual songwriting you know because we uh, we both have a very old school way of going about it and uh, he obviously comes from the 80s and that's when he uh, grew up with with metal and extreme metal same with me so 
uh, we understand each other really well in that sense, you know. And um, so obviously when we write songs, it's we take everything into consideration. But since we both come from the same old school way of doing things, we don't really have to analyze too much. We just uh, butts our heads together and then... Uh, uh, we get the other guys involved as well, you know, Shane and Tony, and to have their um, input on things because they were experienced uh, artists and players and they've been around for a long time. And uh, I feel like, you know, we have a really good uh, team going here. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it would be uh, uh, stupid not to uh, utilize everybody's um, mm -hmm. expertise, you know. I take it you all live across, you spread across Europe as well. So how did you hammer ideas into shape? Was it one of those things where you sent out the ideas via the cloud and just asked for people's opinions? Uh, well, you know, I've, um, for the most part, I've done done the musical ideas and uh, I, I get together with Mark um, to see if, he, if his um, head is at the right place when it comes to the musical stuff. And then we start from there with with uh, lyrical ideas and, and vocal arrangements and stuff. And then uh, the other guys also, you know, put their uh, two cents in either with um, arrangement changes or, you know, whatever it's going to be, you know, so even musical uh, stuff. So, um, and that's, that's how I want this band to be portrayed as, as well. Like, like it's, it's a band and not just a side project to, to fulfill an ego or whatever, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, uh, I think it's, it's very effortless in the, in the way that, uh, things come seemingly easy, uh, for the most part, you know, and, uh, we, we just go with that. It's, it's not like we're trying to reinvent the wheel or anything like that, you know? So it's, it's about just finding the right groove and, and build further on that basically. Yeah, great explanation, by the way. And look, it has been 10 years between releases, so it sounds like you had every intention of following up Shadowcast, and here it is. Yeah, it just uh, took uh, uh, too long, you know. I mean, in 2010, when we released Shadowcast, it's, uh, we were um, we were on the fence just waiting to, to get out there and tour it and promote it, and then things got delayed, and then I suddenly got busy with uh, Dimmu again, you know, with touring, and... Sure. Shane was busy. Um, Mark did another stint with Morgoth, you know, and, and Tony was uh, also busy uh, on his side. So things just like kind of ran out in the sand. And um, but we, we still were working on on songs from 2011 up until 2016 for this album. So okay. in that um, period of time, there's there's a lot of things that comes and goes as inspiration and stuff and I think that really helps making this um, the album sound varied as as varied as a extreme uh, metal album can sound you know <laughs> at least mm. from our point of view yeah I, it's fair that was going to be my next point actually so you read my mind in a way is that I know you're from Norway All right. you've <laughs> you, you've given it this magnificent Swedish this old school clandestine type sound and was that was that intentional and who did you work with on the production side of things well, the, the thing is that it's funny you mentioned that because um, when we were starting writing songs for this album, we um, we spent we, we used uh, on, on a lot of the ideas just for the demo recordings. We we used um, HM2 pedal, which is the Swedish guitar sound uh, uh -huh. 
heavy metal pedal. Uh, and uh, we just used it as a, as a writing tool, basically. Um, and I, since everybody, every other new band started using that that sound, I was thinking, well, we should definitely not use that for the, al- the actual album guitar sound. But it has been really helpful in terms of as a writing tool uh, because, you know, it, it just gives a give off that really dirty uh, necro old school vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, once we came to actually recording the album guitars, then obviously that's when you find out if, if the riffs really hold up because it's you're going to use your regular guitar sound, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. um, but it did, and uh, we recorded the guitars uh, still very old school way, you know. You know, um, Marshall eight and JCM eight hundred with the tube screamer in front, and since we're tuned nice. down, yep. um, we don't really need that much gain, you know. And we still wanted to keep that dirty, straightforward type of sound. So we did most of the guitars at my house, um, my studio, and then we did most of the vocals uh, and the drums in in the rehearsal warehouse that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shane came over to Norway to do his bass in my studio. So yeah, everything went pretty smooth recording-wise. And uh, but uh, we obviously needed help in the mixing and mastering departments. So that's why we hired uh, Russ Russell to okay. to help salvage the whole project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice script. Did, did you think about working with Pete uh, Pete Tugtron at all? Um. Not really for this one, uh, at, at least not as in full production, but um, mm. since we did the drums on our own in, in that warehouse studio, uh, looking back at it, it would be quite helpful to have someone more knowledge about the technical stuff about uh, recording drums because it's it can be quite tricky. Uh, and that's why Russ also had um, quite a lot of work ahead of him to, to fix uh, the drums because it was uh, um, from a technical point of view we, we hadn't recorded it uh, good enough if you know what I mean so yeah I get it the mics and stuff was, uh, yep. yeah exactly so mm. that was a bit of a funnel but uh, but he managed to uh, to save it so that, that was good <laughs> yeah well, I mean the proofs in the pudding man it sounds brilliant I've got to hand you a massive compliment I think it's probably the best sounding extreme metal release this year so far oh wow cool that's awesome, a, man. It's that's, it made of. Uh, that's great to hear. Yeah, I've just been listening to it on my Apple AirPods, which aren't you know they're practical, but they're not the best things to be listening to music over. True, it, I got it, it as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're fantastic. I love them. Don't I wouldn't criti- That's not a criticism. What I say when they're designed no, no, to no. do something, but the uh, the way that your your music sounds through them, I can always tell the quality of a, the production and the way. But I mean, you can't polish a turd. So you've captured the sound properly to begin with. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And we did uh, we did really um, good, decent demos before we actually uh, recorded everything uh, uh, again. You know, and we I think we had probably like 15, 16 songs uh, altogether. But we started, you know, uh, producing ourselves and shaving off the fat and trimming the fat and stuff to speak. So it's mm. uh, that's what you have to do, you know. And I think. An extreme metal album shouldn't have really more than 42, 43 minutes, really, or 10 songs or whatever. Because I it's, agree, yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an onslaught of, of uh, 
audio, you know, and uh, you want the listener to maybe listen to, listen to it again as well. So that's just the way I come from, and um, and that's why we had a lot of songs left over. And uh, I don't know if if some of that has seeped into the writing process of the third album yet, but um, there's probably some ideas there that uh, are too cool to to just scrap all together. So we might nice. have to. Yeah. Re, uh, uh, revisit yeah. it when you get the chance. Yep. <laughs> revisit, yeah, yeah. 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 Hey, I'll, I'll just take you back in history for a moment. So, uh, people, everybody listening will know that you're in uh, Demon Borgir as well. And I understand that you compiled the Behind the Player series that you did for the band too. So, you, do you still do videography? Is that still something that you enjoy pursuing? Uh, you mean as in sh- uh, showing tricks <laughs> Did, <laughs> or, yeah, um, didn't you weren't you the videographer on that one there wasn't that you that produced it and put it together i look i could be completely wrong but uh, so i guess that's the question no um you, you mean behind the player thing yes uh, yeah no that that was done in la with with that company that did a few of those uh i think they did with um uh, with john five and the couple of other people oh, okay. um, yeah, I get i'm you. not sure yeah. but it, it, it was uh, the same company so we basically just uh i think it was a day off on on tour and we were like hung over as hell but we managed to <laughs> go through it and it was fun to to actually be able to play with gene hoglan uh you know and oh yeah and, nice yeah. and jam a couple of songs with him so that that was uh that was a real treat so uh, looking that's fun memories actually really cool and you did Metalocalypse as well. I think most people listening would know that. So if that opportunity came around again, I'm sure you'd jump at it. Yeah, it, it all depends. You know, uh, with uh, with Dimmer, it, it can be a bit um, tricky in the sense that we we obviously don't want to lose too much um, mystique, if you know what I mean, for the lack of a better word. But then again, sure. everything yeah. is out in the open yeah. these days, you know, because of the internet and stuff. So... I think every band nowadays are in the position that they need to carefully look at any opportunity that comes their way to be able to keep the, um, the band name afloat, you know, uh, and, For sure. yeah. and, you know, just keep, keep busy at it. So, um, yeah, we, we take every, every opportunity seriously and then we just, you know, make a decision on it. Mm. Going back even further, one of, one of the reasons I got into Demu back in the 90s is because I heard through the grapevine that you had an Australian guitarist, which I, I simply couldn't believe at the time because it was so unusual to hear that an Australian had travelled to far-flung Norway. Right. This is basically pre-internet, yeah. as you remember. Yeah. How did how did you meet Jamie? I think, what was his name? He was Aston Yao or something. Aston Yeah. Aston yeah. Um, no, yeah, that, that's... Um... Uh, that was back in 97, the beginning of 97. Um, he was over here in Norway playing with uh, a band called Covenant, which uh, which was the band of our bass player at the time, Nagers. Elhammer too, that's right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. He was also with Covenant. And, uh, and I think um, we decided uh, that... You know, we needed a, a second guitarist. So uh, initially, Nagash was going to move from bass to to guitar, and then we had uh, another bald guy back in the day that was going to fill in on bass. But that only lasted for two weeks. <laughs> so uh, Nagash suggested 
suggested having Jamie come in and help out, at least for the tour, I remember, uh, for the Enthron Darkness Triumphant tour in 97. And Nagash went then back to base. And then it just happens that, you know, we were more busy than Covenant, I guess, and we were touring more. So it was just, it just happened naturally and gradually that Jamie was becoming a part of the, the songwriting team as well. And, and that's how we... We did the, the mini CD, Godless Savage Garden, together, and um, yeah, and uh, Spiritual Black Dimensions. Great album, by the way. That's my favorite in your catalog, actually. That album. All right, cool. Thanks. <laughs> Old school, but uh, was he? What, what happened there? Do you mind? I mean, God, I mean, feel free to tell me otherwise. But was he a pain? Yeah, the no. Is that I, why, I, I what happened? It just, uh, it just it was not not too much drama, really. It just didn't work out the way uh, things were progressing at the time, and. Uh, um, you know, Jamie is a highly skilled songwriter, guitar player, and um, and I met him uh, on occasion a few times after that. You know, so there's no beef or anything. But sweet, yeah. You know, so um, no, but it, it just didn't work out, uh, and we just usually that's what happens when when we change personnel. It's not because you know, we hate each other or anything necessarily. It's more like people have totally different visions and expectations, you know, because once you're in the band at this level and even back then at that level, there was like a breaking point, you know, where you had to either sacrifice everything. That means everything, including yes. family, family and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Either do that or not at all. You know, there's, there's no in between. So I think that had a lot to do with uh, most of the uh, personnel changes over the years. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially back in those days, mate. The kids around these days, uh, you know, a lot of them are Cradle fans, Demu fans, Enslaved, and Mayhem fans and stuff. They have no idea what you guys had to go through in order to get your music out there. You basically were living off. Oh, and, uh, and still, people don't. Uh, and I think even even as close as certain uh, people in our families uh, or more extended families, they still don't really have the grasp of what we have been able have been able to do to or to, to to do what we're supposed to do you know it's it's um hey yeah it's like it's like a extreme athlete you know you you kind of have to lock yourself up and and work on whatever you're going to do otherwise it's Absolutely. not gonna have any results and that's that's just the way it is nowadays it's a bit easier because you know internet made things a lot easier obviously and um but then again, it's the album sales in general goes down for every artist. So you have to try and make up for that with uh, touring and shows and stuff like that. And mm. that means even being more away from family and friends and whatnot. So it's it's not the easy. We haven't made it easier for ourselves. But uh, looking back, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. I would do the same thing one more time. Mate, I better make this my last question for you. I think you got to go to the next. Is that right? Got time for one more? Is that cool? Yeah, I got, I got a few more. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. Um, are you open to having a your your story written? So biography. Um, as a band, you mean? No, you personally. You've done a lot. I mean, you're oh, in, right, you you yeah, started yeah. Nocturnal no, Breed I'm... and all sorts of shit. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm totally open for for that idea. And there's been uh, a few writers already that has been uh, contacting us. But that's more, I guess, more band related stuff. Not necessarily just me as a as an artist. But yeah, I'm I'm totally open for for anything. 
Is that Joel McIver? Would he has he reached out to you guys yet? Uh, no, this was a couple of Norwegian guys actually. Um, uh-huh. uh, um, uh, or maybe McIver also did that in uh, the like 10 15 years ago, but then I felt that was a bit too too soon. It's a bit too early, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you guys have been doing it. I mean, you personally have been, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're about my age, you're about 42, 43, aren't you? Yeah, 43 now, yeah. And you've been doing this since you were about 15? Uh, yes, pretty much. Uh, I think um, the first time I actually um, held an instrument that meant something was when I was 14. Um, yeah, 14, the su- summer of 91. Uh, so that's when... Uh, that's when things started to escalate. Although I, I kind of knew when I was six or five or six years old, watching Twisted Sister in the early eighties on TV, that that's <laughs> yeah. what I was going to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Well, what do you think you've you've survived and thrived when most have failed? Um, that's a good question, man, because it's uh, kind of impossible to to answer it from an objective point of view. But I think it's. Uh, that I always, uh, at the end of the day, believed that what I've done uh, creatively, creatively has been working out, and mm. that I have a belief system in that. You know, I'm trying to make the best out of my own talents and work hard at it because talent will only get you so far. You know, I think hard work and Great. Doing the right positions and being in the right place at the right time has a lot more to do with it than talent. I absolutely agree with that. That's a theme that comes up again and again and again. And also to commercial now. You've not been stupid. You've, you've been quite intelligent about signing. I mean, I know, I think you guys got ripped off early on, didn't you? But I mean, that happens, right? And Yeah, that's it, that's just a um, matter of time. It's not if it happens, it's when it happens and how many times <laughs> it happens. <laughs> It's so such a that, shame, but it's just how it is. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just a, a lot of energy draining, you know. And um, But it's it's something that you have to take into consideration because you are in a business where a lot of people are uh, concerned about their own fortune and their own paycheck, you know, and whatnot. And there's a lot of egos involved on both sides of the fence. So, yeah. <laughs> that there is, yeah. All right, mate, I better let you go to the next one. But uh, it's been nice to finally chat to you, and uh, you might get something in the mail. That's all I'll say now. Okay, all right, so awesome. I look forward to it. Awesome, you never man. know. Thanks yeah. Well. All right, well, no worries. Awesome, hopefully, man, we can, hopefully we can catch up again sometime, mate. No worries. Thanks very much. For sure, mate. All right, all right. cool. Uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, brother. Catch you. Right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject you just heard from was Silenos from the band's Insidious Disease and, of course, Demu Borgir. Thanks for listening.